My name is Patrick. Uh, I am the youth pastor here. I get to serve uh, with our teenagers and their families. And this morning, I get to preach. This is, admittedly, my first time getting to preach a Christmas message. Um, you, yeah, somebody wooted. Woo. Uh, normally, that's a senior pastor gig, uh, and Frank was, was gracious and kind to me and uh, is letting me preach this morning. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to pray first. Can we do that? Uh, Father, I need your help. Uh, I need uh, you and your Holy Spirit to fill this room and to teach us and to uh, reveal the truth this morning of who you are, uh, what, is, what it is you want us to know about you. Uh, I pray that you give me clarity and conviction as we go to your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so uh, last Saturday, uh, we're one of those families, we do it right, we wait until after Thanksgiving uh, to do the Christmas stuff. If you're one of those families that, you know, starts in October, it's okay, I forgive you. Um, but we wait till after Thanksgiving, and so last Saturday, we're bringing out our stuff, and we have these tubs that we all bring up from the basement, and uh, one of uh, the things in the tub is all of the Christmas books from when the boys were kids, like when they were really little. And Grady's sitting on the couch, and I hadn't talked to him about this. Like maybe he had heard uh, me and Michelle talking about what uh, I was preaching about next week. I don't really know, but he's sitting on the couch, and he's opening these books, and he flips through it, and he goes, that's not in the Bible. And he flips it, he grabs the next one, he's reading it, he's like, that's not in the Bible. You know, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, yeah, that, that happens. Like, the Christmas story is a story that we have heard and repeated and told so many times. And, and you know, Frank, I think over the summer, he had posted on Facebook about uh, the Christmas message and getting some ideas from people. And there were several things that came back to him that actually aren't in the scriptures. And so this series that we're starting, this is the uh, first sermon of the series uh, for Christmas, is called Unwrapping Christmas. And we're basically looking at a few things in the story that have been misunderstood or mistold through the years. And uh, Frank's going to cover a bunch of them in the weeks to come. And today I was tasked with talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, and so for the first little bit, we're eventually going to get to Luke chapter 1, and if you want, you can scan that QR code, and we'll get there. But first, I have quite a bit of context to give us with Mary, because it's not so much like uh, there in the story that we read this and we go, oh, we have all this confusion about Mary. It kind of unfolds later. And so the other thing I need to address contextually is this is a Protestant church. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, that means that we are not Roman Catholic. Uh, we are really, the root word of Protestant is protest. So back in the 1500s, uh, the Protestant Reformation began, and we began to uh, take things from Scripture, and I'm going to get into some of the history of this, but here we are today at Uniontown Bible Church, and we are a Protestant church, or to use another term, we are evangelical. 
And so many of us in the room grew up in a context like this. And what you believe about Mary is from the scriptures. There are some of you in the room who maybe you grew up in a Catholic context, going to a Roman Catholic church. And what you believe about Mary, yes, it comes from scripture, but there have been some things that have been added over the centuries. Um, I want everyone to hear me say that my heart and my intent this morning is not to offend anyone. Uh, My heart and my intent is not to be uh, antagonistic, but to look at the scriptures. And so here we go. First, we need to do a little bit of a meandering through church history, Uh, not the whole thing. It's complicated. Uh, There's a lot going on. But Basically, the first 280 years of the church, uh, it was, Christianity wasn't well accepted. Uh, in other words, there was persecution. The emperors in Rome uh, would go through kind of seasons of persecuting the Christians. Uh, and you have these church leaders like Justin Martyr uh, and Origen and others who are killed by uh, the Roman Empire. Empire. And so for those first 200 years or so, you have the Church of Jesus, uh, born at Pentecost, gathering together uh, under uh, uh, the the banner of Jesus, using the Old Testament scriptures. Um, The New Testament is being written in that first century, right? And so the church is gathering, it's growing, it's spreading. You have all the stories and acts of Paul going out on these missionary journeys, so through those first centuries, uh, the church is meeting in homes and um, being persecuted on and off. And then something significant happens in history around 312 is Constantine, the emperor uh, at the time, he like legalizes Christianity. He says it's okay to be a Christian. And so from that point forward, the church leaders are able to start meeting. And these uh, bishops or elders or pastors, they start meeting together, and you have these councils that start to form, and they start to clarify some things about the scriptures and about what Christians believe. Uh, We have the Apostles' Creed that comes somewhere out of the second century. We have the Nicene Council and Creed that comes around 325 uh, A.D. And so you have the church kind of developing, and in one of these councils, it's in 431, uh, it's the Council of Ephesus. They're, these councils are meeting to basically um, clarify things that are being said about either Christianity or specifically Jesus. And so you have this dude, Nestor, who has these ideas that Jesus uh, becomes God as he lives his life, that he is not innately uh, in his being God, like he's not 100% God, 100% man. And so uh, Cyril and a lot of the other church bishops, they meet, and this is one of the things that they're addressing in the council in Ephesus. I'm gonna, I know some of you are like, this is boring. Some of you are like, oh, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> we're going to get into Luke 1. Uh, I'm trying to kind of rush through it and hit the major details. And so uh, the council of Ephesus, they meet, and they use this term to talk about Mary. They say that Mary is the mother of God. And the reason that they emphasize that 
has less to do with Mary and more to do with Jesus. In other words, Jesus doesn't become God as he lives his life. Jesus is God in Mary's womb. Jesus is God. He's 100% man, 100% God. And so they use that word, uh, the Greek word they use is theotokos. Uh, there's clarification later in 451 in another uh, church council. And what happens, this is going to be a huge oversimplification, is these church leaders, they get together and they, you know, they're using these uh, big words and these educated uh, stances and they're trying to clarify things. And then stuff gets down into the populace of the church or the common people. And because they use that word theoticus, that Mary is the mother of God, what happens is people start to kind of like venerate or honor Mary in a way that was different than just Mary should be respected and honored and blessed as, as the mother of Jesus. And so things start to kind of morph from there. You have in um, the around 1000 AD, uh, one of the popes announces that uh, Mary was immaculately conceived. And so it's not just that Jesus was without sin, but that Mary herself was without sin. That comes from the Pope, and I'm not going to go into all of where these things come from. Um, 1854 is when that Immaculate Conception becomes official church dogma. One of the other things that develops through the centuries is that uh, Mary was a perpetual virgin, meaning she was a virgin before Jesus was born. We know that, but that she was a virgin after Jesus was born and continued to be. But Scripture talks about Jesus having brothers and sisters. Uh, and even uses a word in Matthew that she uh, abstains from sexual relations with Joseph until Jesus is born. And that word until implies that Mary and Joseph have, um, you know, kids. Uh, it was said at our staff meeting that if, uh, if Mary was per a perpetual virgin, then Joseph was perpetually bummed. Um, <laughs> Uh, something that, that comes about later um, is that uh, Mary didn't actually die, that she was assumed into heaven. Um, that is uh, Pope Pius XII, uh, not, and that's in 1950. Uh, so many of you were alive when that was uh, kind of decided upon. Okay, and so that's four kind of major dogmas or doctrines that the Roman Catholic Church teaches about Mary. And so, again kind of back into the context of the room. Many of us grew up in a Protestant context, and we don't know that or, or anything. Um, and so just trying to kind of provide some context to why Mary is misunderstood. And so now we need to jump into, well, I guess we can go further. There are some contingencies of the Roman Catholic Church. And again, this is not everyone. This is not in their official doctrine or teaching or dogma, but that Mary is a co-redeemer with Jesus, or that Mary is a mediator, that you actually pray to Mary, and then she uh, mediates between uh, people and Jesus. And the scriptures don't say that. In fact, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, 
there is one God, there is one mediator, and his name is Jesus. Um, and so, again, my, my intent today is not to offend anybody, um, but the Protestant Reformation was a protest. And so my intent this morning is to peaceably protest and to say that there is some confusion about Mary and we have to go to the scriptures. In fact, that is the major difference between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. There's a lot of differences, but the main one is the authority of scripture. So one of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation, if you're familiar with the solas, the five solas, it's only scripture. We are looking at the scripture as God has revealed himself to be. Uh, and Roman Catholics say it's scripture and whatever the Pope says, uh, whatever Rome says, or whatever tradition says. And so now we're going to jump into Luke chapter 1 and what we, uh, well actually Luke chapter 2 is kind of famously the Christmas passage, but Luke chapter 1 brings us to chapter 2 naturally. And so uh, we're going to jump in and for context we'll begin in verse 26. Uh, Luke is kind of using three different scenarios. He's got uh, the, the foretelling of John's birth that it starts out with, and Zechariah sings a song. And then he's got the announcement of Jesus, uh, and Mary sings a song. And then when Jesus goes to the temple, you have Simeon and uh, Anna, and Simeon sings a song. So you have these three songs in the beginning of Luke. We're going to zoom in and look at Mary's song, but for context, we need to uh, get there. So in verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, uh, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. I'm going to, we're going to zoom in on Mary's song. And so as I read through this, my hope is that you read along uh, and I'm going to kind of provide some commentary and try to be clear when I'm commentating and when uh, we're not looking at scriptures, but if you're looking at scriptures, you'll know when I'm commentating. Okay? All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. They have to clarify that that's in Galilee because nobody knew where Nazareth was. All right? To a virgin engaged or betrothed to a man named Joseph. So we have this first, like, okay, appearing to a virgin. Of the house of David. That's important. Uh, the virgin's name was Mary. So we have another mention of a virgin. Her name is Mary. An angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Uh, that's not like a, like a, you know, may God be with you. That's like a statement. The Lord is with you. That's beautiful. Um, 29, but she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What a proclamation. What an announcement. Uh, Mary's response, she asked the angel, how can this be since I have not uh, known a man? I, I have not had sexual relations with a man. That's a, that's a good question. Um, when Gabriel shows up to Zechariah 
and Elizabeth, we get this before, uh, Elizabeth was older, advanced in age, it says, and she was barren. We have seen God open barren wombs before in the Old Testament. Have we not? Yes, we have. We've seen it, and yet it is still amazing. It is still miraculous. God says to a virgin, through an angel, you will conceive, and you will have a child. That is amazing. That is a miracle. Thank you. The angel replied to her at her question, how can this be? He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow is, uh, it, it, it's, it's the same word God overshadows the tabernacle. You know, and he fills uh, the tabernacle of the temple. He overshadows you. Uh, therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Uh, even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God, says Gabriel. Nothing is impossible with God. And so really quickly, a side note, I know that the virgin birth is one of those intellectual things that people struggle with. How, like like their, their question is the same as Mary's. How can this be? And yet, Gabriel's proclamation is that God can do anything. God spoke, and existence and creation happened. God can do anything. And there's some mystery in that. We in this 21st century, we want to know how, right? Like, I think that's one of the reasons uh, Iron Man, this is completely off script. In 2008, Iron Man came out, and we got, we, we were explained how he became Iron Man, and we believed it. <laughs> At least I did. I was like, Tony Stark is Iron Man. No, we want to know how things happen. And so uh, we're, we get uncomfortable when there's mystery, but God can do anything. Uh, and then the angel left her. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry. For nothing will be possible with God. 38, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. This is her response. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. That's important. We're going to circle back to that at the end. The angel left her. Okay, in those days, she finds out that Elizabeth is pregnant, so she goes out to the whole country of Judah where Elizabeth lives. She visits her. Uh, John uh, leaps in her belly. This is like Malachi 4, 2. We just did Malachi a couple of months ago that the calves will leap when the son of righteousness comes. John, who is Elijah, that's prophesied later for uh, Malachi 4, verse 4 and 5. So John is like this representation of Elijah, and he jumps inside his mother's womb when Mary walks in. And then Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims, Blessed are you among uh, women. Uh, how could this be? Sorry, verse 43. How could this uh, happen to me that the mother of my Lord, this is Elizabeth speaking, the mother of my Lord should come to me. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed in the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. I wonder if Elizabeth for, his, for a minute was like, ow, whoa. Like, right, like, at least, I don't know. I wouldn't know. But I can wonder that. All right. 
We're going to jump into verse 46 uh, and Mary's response. We have to go back to kind of the context that we set up, right? Like Mary is a human being. She is a human being. She's favored. And I think we get confused with this word favor. And so what we do is we take Mary, and I'm using that word we uh, loosely to, to talk about all of church history, right? And we venerate her, and yet Mary is a human being. She should be respected, and she is favored of God, and she was uh, Jesus' mom, or is Jesus' mom. Um, but even Mary's response, her song, look at this. She says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord. Her response is like, wow, aren't I great? My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. She knew she was a sinner in need of a Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Remember, Mary was from Nazareth, from, from nowhere, right? Uh, that's compared to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest of noble status. They lived in the hill country of Judah, right? They were somebody. Mary and Joseph were nobody living in Nazareth. Nobody knew where that was. Uh, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely now, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That word blessed also means favored, right? Because of the mighty one, this is what she says, because. This is her reason. She understands it. She says, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. His mercy. God is the subject of the verbs, if you're not catching on. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has, tears, I can't read, sorry, I get excited. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is amazing stuff. And we, we gloss over it, we pass over it with, with this, this Christmas thing that we get amped about Christmas trees and stockings and it's fun it is fun i love it too but this is the reason this is jesus the king of heaven he's the one he's the second person of the trinity god on high it is through him that things are created it is through him that things are sustained and he becomes man the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. And, and inside of this woman's, this human woman's womb, the God of the universe takes shape as a man. 100% God, 100% man. This is a miracle. Uh, this is Mary's response, her song of praise. You've maybe heard it called the Magnificat. It's a hymn. It's maybe one of the, the, the first... Christian hymns. This is early on in Luke, in, this, in the, the New Testament scriptures. Okay. Just so everybody's tracking, I got three minutes.
the veneration of Mary, I would argue, actually starts before 431 A.D. If we flip forward in Luke in chapter 11, um, you have Jesus, right? He's an adult now. Uh, we've skipped, you know, uh, nine chapters if you're tracking with me. So in Luke chapter 11, you have Jesus cast out a demon uh, of, a, of a mute man, okay? And he's casting out these demons, and people are saying these things about him. There's kind of like these responses, and I'm not preaching that message, so I'm just kind of getting to something. And Jesus is teaching. He's saying these amazing things because he's the second person of the Trinity. He's Jesus. He speaks with authority, and he's teaching. And this woman from the crowd, this anonymous, unnamed woman, she yells out, um, and she says, she says, blessed, blessed must be the womb that carried you and the breast that nursed you. That's what she yells out to Jesus. And Jesus' response isn't, yep. Jesus' response is, blessed is the one who hears the word of God and keeps it or obeys it. Jesus doesn't, um, uh, he doesn't disrespect Mary in that moment. But what he does say is the reason Mary is blessed. Mary's not blessed. Mary's not favored just because she is the mother of Jesus. Mary is blessed and favored because she heard the word of God and she obeyed it. It's Mary's obedience that is the blessing in and of itself. It is the favor. God favors those who hear his word and does it. And so if I were to move uh, this sermon very clearly, we talked about Mary and this, this, this misunderstood Mary. We talked about this announcement about Jesus and who Jesus is. And now we've got to talk about us. Because we have a response in all of this. The question is, is, do, do you want to be blessed? Are you favored? Do you have a misunderstanding of what it means to be favored? To be favored isn't to be venerated and honored and lifted up. To be favored is that Jesus is honored and glorified and lifted up. In fact, he's lifted up on a cross to die, to be forsaken, to have the breath leave his lungs so that his blood could be poured out on your behalf, that he would die the death that you deserve. And I know there are people in here, you've heard this before. And so your response is, amen. And there's some of you in this room, you're maybe hearing this for the first time, or hopefully it's making sense for the first time. And so your response is in belief. It's in obedience to the word of God, that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would take your place that he would die the death that you deserve, that his blood would be poured out on your account, on your behalf, that you would be forgiven, that you would be set free. You are favored. You are looked upon by a God in your humble station, in your sin, in your trouble, and your feelings of loneliness. In whatever your situation is, I've got a lot of faces looking back at me right now. 
You are favored. Highly favored. Blessed. Because Jesus took your place. Because on the third day, not to skip ahead to Easter, but I'm going to, he rose from the grave. And that death was conquered. And so in your loneliness, in your situation, in your sin, you can sit or you can stand or you can dance or you can respond however you want to respond. But the response is, God, you're amazing. My soul praises your greatness that you would look upon me with favor. That in this Christmas season, in whatever I have going on, in, in, in how I forget about you. Y'all ever do that? You ever forget about God because you're so busy in your life? Because you're so busy with what you think you got going on, it's a big deal. You forget about him. You don't listen to his word and obey it. Uh, the other thing, oh gosh, two minutes over. Mary in her song, Mary knew scripture. Mary prophesied, and yes, we can make the argument that she was filled with the Holy Spirit because she had Jesus inside of her, right? But she is speaking, and she's looking back at the Old Testament, and she's looking forward to what her son, who he is and what he's going to do. Do you know the Word of God? Do you know the Scriptures? Do you even know what you should be obedient towards? And so, yes, we look at Jesus and we say he's amazing, and he paid the debt. And I'll finish with this thought. Frank's going to come out of somewhere and stop me, uh, tackle me. The Roman Catholic Church would look at Protestantism and say it's easy believism. That you just have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And you don't have to do anything about it. That, that, that's an oversimplification. That's part of the divide. That's part of the, the fence thing. And the Protestantism, Protestants look at Roman Catholics and they say, oh, but you add uh, to the, the salvation story by saying you have to work for it. I would make the argument that we need to realize that, yes, Jesus paid for our sin and we believe, we repent from our sin and we believe. But from that point forward, Jesus or the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. And there is work to be done. There is something for you to do once that has happened. And so uh, I don't have time to go into all the things that I think you should do, and that's probably not my place. I know what I need to do. I know what the Holy Spirit's working in my heart and doing in my life. And so my prayer, in fact, let's just pray. Father, you are on your, your throne. You sit enthroned in heaven. Jesus is with you, petitioning right now on our behalf. We are blessed. We are favored because of the truth of this message. And Holy Spirit, you are in this room right now. You are dwelling in the hearts of those who believe, and you are working in the hearts of those yet to believe. I believe that to be true. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, would you reveal those things in our hearts that we need to be obedient towards? Would you draw us to your word that we would be passionate about learning about who you are from your word? I pray that in this time of response, uh, as we go to the table, uh, Father, that you would use all of this uh, to teach us and to reveal things to us. It's in 
the name of Jesus that we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.